As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. £1.7 billion spent so far and still a few hours of the transfer window remain. It's been Hello Premier League this summer and so long Champions League for many players, but why and can the other big clubs of Europe ever compete with the English top flight again. Joining me, Mark Chapman, to discuss the business done this window are the Athletics' Phil Buckingham and Matt Slater. West Ham have just signed a player who PSG really wanted to sign. This is the world we live in. Manchester United have just signed Anthony. Every club's got a star now. Newcastle have confirmed the signing of Alexander Isak. We like some jeopardy, but we also quite like Liverpool smashing Bournemouth 9-0, I'm afraid to say. Wolves have agreed a club record deal with Sporting Lisbon for their midfielder Mateus Nunes. The chance to play every week in the Premier League, that, that's, that's the draw for players now ultimately and obviously the riches that come with it. So let's begin with a few facts. Eight of Europe's ten biggest spending clubs this window have been English. Five of those are not even in the Champions League this season. Forest, Manchester United, West Ham, Arsenal and Newcastle. And more than half of the biggest transfers this window have been to Premier League clubs. On average, each Premier League club has spent £85 million this window. And by comparison, the 13 Champions League clubs from Spain, Germany, Italy have spent on average £60 million. Those numbers all sound correct to you, Matt. I'm always wary about me doing the numbers and not you because you you know your figures. Spot on, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Um, <laughs> thanks. That's the end of the podcast. Lovely yeah, to exactly. have you back. Nice easy one. <laughs> um, how how is the Premier League outspending the rest of Europe? And I mean the re- every mm. single European country so significantly. Well, it's another easy one. They have more money, and we're going to get into it really, really quickly. This is nearly all to do with TV, TV money. What we're seeing this year, I think, is perhaps a more extreme example of, of what we've been witnessing for a while. This is, this is a trend. The Premier League has been moving away from the others, gradually at times, but quite markedly in the last few years. There are a few reasons for that. I mean, lots of reasons. I, I, I write about them all the time. You know, the Premier League is just a very well-marketed product. The English language helps, time zone. And it just then just sort of kind of like 
how we reward winners. There's lots of good players. They bring more players. We've got good managers, recognisable brands, 30-year success, you know, 30-year success story. It's just a kind of confluence of good stuff. I think COVID has played a part. It, it hit the European football market very, very hard. The Premier League weathered it well. It got back playing with Project Restart. It was a big success. I think that's perhaps a, an understated, under, an underreported story, really. The TV rebate was minimal. At the same time, for example, France, the TV deal was going to pieces. Places like Syria, Bundesliga have struggled to sell rights abroad at times. The Premier League, on the other hand, the international sales are fantastic. I mean, they are absolutely fantastic. Even the NFL cannot sell TV rights abroad in the way the Premier League can. They're about to start a commercial rights cycle. I think they're going to be really good as well. So that's the sort of sponsorship deals, the big sponsorship deals for the Premier League. It, it's it's just a lot of good things adding up to a really, really big success story that just gives them a massive advantage in the transfer market. Two, two things that you said there. The first one I'll deal with you, Matt, before we bring Philip in, which is overseas TV deals. Oh, they, they seem to be the ones that take the Premier League into, into a different stratosphere. Yeah, the, and, and you know, let's let's think about the, the significance of that. So England is a is a large large country. It's a large market, but it's not as large as Germany. Pretty much the same size as France and Italy. Slightly larger than Spain. English fans love football, but so do people in those other countries. There's a sort of slight, I think, history of English fans being willing to pay to watch. Again, kudos to Sky for, for sort of 30 years of, of convincing us to do that. But but likewise, people in Germany and, and Spain and Italy will, will pay to watch as well. So there's not huge amounts of difference there. What, what English football has had for a long time is this global appeal, be it, be it, be it you know, a lot of it off the back of the, the really big clubs. This is where we go round in circles again about who, who we should be praising and who should get the lion's share here. Those really big brands, Manchester United, Liverpool, who've been big for years and years and years. And the English football, even prior to the Premier League, was being watched abroad for, for, for peanuts. They didn't really realise the value of it, but it was, you know, the seeds were there. The last 10, 15 years, it's the explosion of interest in North America, I think, has really, really helped. And that's where the big growth in this, in this current international rights cycle has come from. Traditional strengths in Asia, Scandinavia, Africa, everywhere, really, everywhere. And, you know, again, I come back to... The, the difficulties that, not so much La Liga, La Liga did pretty well for a decade and was for a time, okay, it was closing the gap. It, it The gap has grown again. But Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga, they're just not, they're not sexy. They are not getting anything like the interest from overseas broadcasters. So their so they're rights deals, there's no, there's no energy in the auction. There's no buzz. You know, there's no NBC going up against CBS to any exhibition or Disney or New Entrance or DAZN or whoever, Amazon, whoever it might be. They're, they're tepid. Their auctions are tepid. Premier League's brilliant at creating, stoking competitive interest in, in auctions. Matt mentioned, Phil, in his first answer about rewarding winners. And I wonder how much the Premier League gains an advantage for rewarding losers. And that may sound harsh, but UEFA's financial report for 2020-2021, uh, and you've written an article on this, revealed that winners Chelsea earned just over £100 million, pounds, €119 million. Euros. Sheffield United, by comparison, 
received £97.5 million when they finished bottom of the Premier League in 2020-2021. Yeah, so for, for the Champions League to mean anything to you financially in, in, in significant terms, you're going to have to go deep, whether it's the semi-finals, the final. That's when you can start earning 80, 90, 100 million from the Champions League. If you get knocked out in the group stages, you might be looking at 30, 40 million. Now you can't structure a summer window on the back of that that uncertainty. You can't you can't forecast how much money is going to come into your club and, and with any great certainty. Some of the big clubs might be able to, a Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, knowing that they're going to go deep or quarterfinals, semi-finals. But if you're if you're a middling in when I talk about the elite, if you're someone like a an Atletico Madrid or no disrespect to them or some of the Italian clubs, they can't budget for, for any significant money from the Champions League. Whereas everyone in the Premier League knows exactly what they're going to get. Absolute base number. And it's a huge, huge number. And that's what gives clubs such an advantage when it comes to a summer window that they know exactly how much money is going to come into their club. That's not to say that these different countries aren't bringing money through their own domestic deals. Of course they are, but not on this level. So every club in the in the Premier League, when they, before the season starts, will know, especially with the new international deal as well, they're looking at 100 million plus. The higher up the league you finish, as Matt talked about the, the international deals, that the way they're restructured moving forward now, merit payments are going to be worth even more. So if you're a, an ambitious club below the big six, if you're thinking, well, I, if I can finish eighth, ninth, tenth, you might be looking at 130, 140 million through broadcast money alone. And and and, and that's what's sort of fueling these fires for, for Premier League clubs to, to go out and spend with, with the certainty that they are doing. What it does at the moment, and this is where we have to see both sides of the coin, I suppose, is from a from a Premier League point of view at the moment, and we're very early in the season, and this may look silly in two months' time when Manchester City are 15 points clear and that's the end of that. But it feels like it's enhanced the competition in the Premier League. I mean, we're recording this the morning after Southampton have just beaten Chelsea. It feels like the so-called bigger Champions League clubs are being pushed by the, the clubs further down this year, more than, more than any time before. So at the moment, it feels like the Premier League is benefiting and that the competition has enhanced. Would you agree? Well, if, if you look at the, the, the spending this summer... There's the usual suspects there leading the way, Manchester United and Chelsea, all to be expected, one one with a new owner, one in need of a huge rebuild. When you when you look down the list, you've you've got you've got West Ham up there, you've got Nottingham Forest up there, Newcastle up there, Wolves up there, Leeds up there, all these clubs willing to spend a hundred million. Now I know Leeds can balance that off with the with the sales this summer, but Someone took umbrage with me calling middling clubs in, in the article, but you know, the upwardly mobile ones or, or the, the, the clubs that would like to see themselves up, upwardly mobile, they're willing to spend they're, they're, and, and they're willing to catch up these clubs if they can. Easier said than done because the, the, the big six have got these enormous commercial deals that the, the rest of the division haven't got. But the theory is that if, if everyone's got the ability to spend, then it, it should make for, for a more level playing field. I'd use the term level playing field loosely because, as I say, the, the clubs at the top end have got such an, an enormous advantage through commercial and shirt sales, everything like that that goes with it. And, and you know, that's that's why Manchester United can afford to spend year in, year out. For a club like Nottingham Forest, this is a almost like a calculated gamble to, to, to try and make sure you stay there. But um, 
the theory is it makes for an outstanding product because every every club in the country, or sorry, every club in the Premier League can afford to go out and, and poach a, an excellent player from France, Portugal. You know, we've seen it throughout the summer. Every club's got a star now. But Mark, this goes back to your point about rewarding losers. And I think this was a strategic choice made by the Premier League. And again, it's it's one of those where you, you do have to give them some credit, right? It was a good call. So this is to do with the ratio of distributing money. And while it's not a level playing field, it's not the NFL where revenues are shared evenly, it's as close as it gets amongst the big five. Now, it used to be one to one to 1.6, which meant the team that came top, the team that came first, was getting 1.6 times as much as the team that came 20th. Now, you know, we would say there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a meritocracy there. That ratio elsewhere in Europe, far, far wider. Right? At one point in La Liga, it was something like 1 to 4.25, 4.5, I think. And that's because Barcelona and Real effectively had their own TV deals. And there was no collective bargaining. Now, that changed and their ratio has come down. And it's, it's, it's come down everywhere. But nowhere has come, I think, below 1 to 2. I think I don't I think the Premier League is since the international rights were tweaked I think it's gone to about 1 to 1.8 but that's still the narrowest right now that does enable your teams towards the bottom particularly when they come in and they are given these massive parachute payments as well which massively skews competition in the championship and causes havoc elsewhere but incentivizes spending encourages spending Nottingham Forest being a really good example of that and it does enable talent to be distributed more widely in our division, which is, again, then part of that idea when they go abroad to market and say, do you know what? We haven't got a Bayern Munich that wins it every 10 years, every every year for 10 years. And we haven't got the we've got a big six, which is twice as many as any other league can, can, can boast. And these guys can lose. They, they can and do lose now. A lot of that is kind of marketing. And actually, if you look at the data, those guys come come towards the top. They have massive advantages. But it enables the Premier League to tell that story. Any given Sunday, that NFL idea, it's not written in stone. Things can change. We have a fluid competition. Watch. So here's the thing with the Champions League then. And then it'll be interesting to see how that then knocks on onto various domestic leagues. There's a Champions League rebrand coming. There are plenty of new TV deals that have been done for the Champions League. Is that going to change the dynamic in Europe with some of the biggest clubs that are always in the Champions League? Phil, is that going to mean they can be more competitive in the transfer market up against West Ham or Leeds or Nottingham Forest or Aston Villa? Who don't, who? I know West Ham do have European football, but you know who aren't Champions League clubs this year and have spent a lot of money. It will help, but I don't think it's keeping pace at the same level as the as the Premier League's growth. So, so if you look at the next cycle of the Premier League, I think Matt will be able to confirm this. Is it sixteen percent up on on the on the previous cycle, which is which which are big numbers, and 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 can can the Champions League compete with that? That that's the difficulty they're going to face moving forward, and. And and that's why you you'll forever get these agitators that that are looking at the Champions League and, and thinking this isn't enough for us. That and and that's that's the problem that the the elite clubs in the Champions League outside of England that that's the problem that they face. They they don't think they're getting enough from the Champions League. Yeah, I mean that the Champions League is 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 is, is a funny one because everything I was just saying about I wouldn't call it democracy or or complete fairness, but that that kind of 
how the Premier League distributes its money in a slightly fairer way than everybody else, being a being a, being a good. The Champions League and that kind of entry to the Champions League is that compounding effect. So that is what has enabled our big six to become a big six, to really create that gap between them and everybody else. Access to UEFA money, which has been like this additional pot that they've almost had exclusive access to for 20, 25 years. Now, you see that. You see the skewing and anti-competitive nature of that worse abroad. No doubt about it. Mm. It has enabled Juve, Bayern to leave everybody behind, the, you know, Barca, Real, lesser extent, Atletico. But, but even in like divisions, you know, Copenhagen, you know, almost have exclusive access to it. We, we, we shall see how Rangers and Celtic get on. But the fact that they're back in, I think, almost kills that competition for the next few years. So, the, you know, the Scottish uh, Premiership. Mm. So, so having that exclusive, almost exclusive access to that additional revenue for those mid-tier, mid-market mid clubs, mid-market leagues, actually, really hurts those competitions. But then on the flip side, as you say, at the elite end, if you like the Deloitte money list end, you've got those sort of dozen clubs who are really big in Europe who aren't in the Premier League thinking, we actually need more because we don't have the Premier League's international rights income. So we actually want the, the UEFA money to be even more skewing and biased in our favour and to make a mess of our domestic competitions because we have to compete in Europe and for players with the, with the Premier League's biggest clubs. And that was going to be my next point, really, which is the more money the Champions League clubs get, the more it skews their respective divisions. 100%. And then the less attractive they are going to be to <laughs> overseas markets, particularly, actually, Phil, particularly... The American market, which, as Matt has mentioned several times, is is built on a, any given Sunday. All all their major sports are designed to make sure that there isn't a a dominant force over over ten to fifteen years. I mean, it, the Bundesliga is a one horse race. La Liga is between two, occasionally three teams, depending if one of Barcelona or Real Madrid have mucked up all their finances. I mean the. I know what Lille did was a, was amazing a couple of years ago, but that's really Ligue Paris Saint-Germain's domain. Probably the most interesting league at the moment is Serie A, actually, because, you know, both Milan clubs have come back into it a little bit and Juventus have fallen away and, you know, watching Serie A is quite interesting. But that that sell for the foreign market, if you don't, I mean, if you haven't got a, some kind of competitive balance, you're knackered. Well, that's the appeal of sport, isn't it? You want jeopardy. You want to flick on the telly on a Sunday and and not know what's going to happen. Over a course of a season, there's zero jeopardy in the Bundesliga. You know who's going to win the league. And as you say, in Spain, you've got a pretty good idea who's going to win the league. You could argue the Premier League. I think we're pretty sure it's it's going to be Man City or Liverpool, I think, over the course, of the course and distance. But you you, you know that upsets happen and, and that will always be the Premier League's charm that, as Matt said right at the beginning of this, on, on any given Sunday, bottom could beat top or, or at least take a point off them and, and there's, there is genuine jeopardy in the Premier League and, and that, that's its charm because European clubs are dominating via their Champions League money. That, that, that In the end, it's, it's not going to help these leagues grow and that, and that makes a, a much broader point here of, of have, have we reached a point where the Premier League's dominance is is insurpassable now. Where where the the rest of Europe, you know, you, you had Syria in the nineties, La Liga. After that, is the Premier League dominance so tight now, so forceful 
have we reached a point where the rest of Europe will never catch up every, every chance, I think, because as, as you say, those, if, if they're, the greater their reliance is on, on Champions League money, and if it's the same clubs from those same countries every, every year, then that eventually damages the, the own domestic product and, and then it can't catch up. It's, I can well imagine the chief executives in, in those countries just looking at the Premier League and thinking, we're, we're cooked here long term. Well, the funny thing, I'll say two things, you know, because I think they're really good points, Phil. I mean, just to pick up on that one, there has been squawking about this for years, right? This is not the first time there's been conversations around the Premier League's dominance. And it's nearly always financial dominance. It's nearly always off the back of a transfer window where Mm. guys like Leon are like, oh God, I've had to sell my best player to West Ham and being fed up about it. Or the guy from Monza, XAC Milan, Adrian Galliani whinging about Nottingham Forest and how they can't compete. I mean, we, we've had this before. And then you sort of think, well, is this, trans, is this dominance being translated into genuine dominance in European competitions? And the actual answer is no. There are times it looks like it, like we'll have English football will, will supply, you know, both finalists or we'll have lots of English teams will make the semi-finals. We are the coefficient, UEFA coefficient suggests we are the number one league in Europe and all that. But we're not... Look at the winners. We Real Madrid again. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We don't sweep the board, right? So this, they're coming. The tanks are coming. What are we going to do? Oh no! How do we compete with the Premier League? We don't win everything, right? Now, largely that's because those domestic leagues have funneled all their money and interest to a couple of couple of major players, right? Which then, for the reasons we were just discussing, further skews their competitions, right? And that leads to my second point. And there is this massive debate about competitive balance and, and it's often asked of UEFA you know what, what's your role what are you going to do about it Alexander Seferin you were you know from Slovenia you were you you, you followed Michel Platini you were supposed to look out for the little guy what have you done they've got bigger the big guys got bigger on your watch and UEFA sort of kind of stayed out of it go well you know he's you know, is our job to to engineer competitive balance? And, you know, the answer would be for their actions or inaction, you know, no. They, I think they are trying, but they constantly don't try too hard or we upset the big clubs and they go off and form a Super League. So you have this very careful balance. And I think the, the, the final point I want to make is there have been some quite interesting academic studies, and I've written about a couple of these in the past. Do European football fans really want a genuine free-for-all, a genuine, let's let's tear it down every year, let's have the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl, let's have let's have the Cleveland Browns win something, right? Do we actually want that? Or do we actually quite like these big juggernauts, these big brands? Do we want to see Tiger Woods compete and win every Sunday? Because even American sports fans, if you look mm. at what they liked, actually quite like Tiger Woods winning. Mm. They actually quite like the Dallas Cowboys. They actually quite like the New York Yankees. They are good those brands are good for those leagues. We like some competitive balance. We like some jeopardy. But we also quite like Liverpool smashing Bournemouth 9-0, I'm afraid to say. Because that's because that's what we? the audience figure that's well that's <laughs> but that's what well, you might not, but that's what the audience figures suggest. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very fair the Tiger Woods is the prime is the prime example. Tiger Woods is playing in the final group on a Sunday. Your audience, your audience figures go through the roof, don't they? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. What do you think the players think about... This may be an impossible question for you both to answer, but the players think about competitive balance. And I'm asking this, Phil, in relation to the Champions League, because Premier League clubs have enticed players who would have been in the Champions League this season to clubs who aren't in the Champions League this season, Rema Freuler to Forest or Mateus Nunes to, to Wolves uh, as, a, as an example. So if you take the juggernauts out of it, as Matt's talking about, if you take Bayern and, I don't know, uh, Real Madrid out of it and, and Paris Saint-Germain out of it, if you're at a club that's finished third in Serie A or second in La Liga or whatever it may be, but you're probably thinking, well, we might get through the group stages and we go go much further. Actually, I'm going to get paid more in the Premier League and blah, blah, blah. That appears to have tipped the way of more money in the Premier League than the Champions League attention and glory. Is that fair? Let's, let's be honest. I think if, if, you can, if you can double your salary by moving clubs, you do it, don't you? That, that, and, and, but I do think that the, the broader point is that the, the Premier League is, is is now the place where players want to go. Do, do, does a does a player want to stay at say Sevilla for half a dozen Champions League games guaranteed, or does he want to chance his arm and have the chance to play thirty eight games in the Premier League? It's that's where you can really carve your career now. I, I, I feel like I'm talking down a, a lot of these clubs, but I'm I'm convinced that's how players see the, the Premier League now and, and the chance to join the Premier League club. And it doesn't have to be Manchester United or or Manchester City or Liverpool, it, it it can be Leeds, it can be, you know, a Leeds team that survived on the last day of the last season. They've, they've recruited several players that have abandoned Champions League clubs to come play for Leeds United, and I think that that's that's just the draw of the Premier League now. And, and <laughs> say if you're Brendan Aronson and players like that at RB Salzburg, it, is is that enough to keep you playing in the Austrian league, or, or do you want to? It's half a dozen games in the Champions League. Is that is that enough for you? I, I don't think it is. I think whether it's for your own international ambitions to further your career, the chance to play every week in the Premier League, that that's that's the draw for players now ultimately, and obviously the riches that come with it. Do you think there'll be some people listening to this who'll be thinking, "Oh, there they go, the arrogant yeah, English again." Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, how dare they be so disparaging about La Liga, for example? I think that, I think that yeah. there's every chance. But I think that that's the reality of where we are now. If 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 the Premier League is spending close to two billion pounds, which is which is La Liga, Bundesliga, and Syria put pretty much put together, 
those are enormous sums of money and, and with enormous sums of money come enormous wages and and out and outside of the the european elite in those other leagues those wages just aren't there and 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 that's 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 why player after player has queued up to come to the premier league this summer that's that's the reality of it Mark, there'll be English fans listening to this going, listen to these Premier League knobs banging on about the bloody Premier League and the big six. Have a look at the championship. Have you seen how how tight the championship is? It's ludicrous. I know that things will settle down, but I mean that's that's gotta be the most competitive start to championship season I think I've ever I've ever seen. National League's pretty good as well. You know, there's loads of and League League One and League Two. Every year League One. Every year. Yeah. Rory Smith of the New York Times put this in his uh, in his weekly email, you know. So it, this is being discussed not not just by three English blokes on a podcast, but uh, Rory put for the elites of Germany, Spain, Italy, France, and potentially others. The only conceivable challenge is to join forces. I mean, could you say? I mean, do, do you know what well, we could go back a decade, fifteen years, twenty years when we talked about? The Dutch, the Scottish, the Portuguese, the Belgians, the Swedish coming together for for an interleague competition that was below the big five. Rory's now looking at the other four in the big five and saying, do they join forces? Yeah. I, I did this a while ago, Mark. Don't worry. <laughs> well, that's that's Rory. That's Rory, I tell you. I'll have words with him. No, no, no. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. Because it, it's a very live topic. It's very, I mentioned Adriano Galliano before. Who's ex AC Milan now at Monza, owned by Silvio Silvio Berlusconi? He 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 said this about a month or so ago. It came up in that European Super League debate. You know, back at the European Court of Justice, we're waiting for that big ruling there. The European Super League, as an idea, is coming back at some point. We don't know when, and I wouldn't say it's consensus, but there's a lot of whispering that one way it could come back is this, as you say, this alternative to the Premier League that. Uh, you know, for the same reasons the European Super League crops up in the first place. Barcelona, Real, Atletico have outgrown La Liga. Those are the big two, absolutely, you know, open warfare almost at times. Uh, Juventus certainly feel that way about Serie A. Bayern probably feel that way privately about the Bundesliga. If you could, if you could create a continental Super League, there you go. Is, is, that, is that a compelling... TV product does that genuinely challenge the Premier League's hold mm. over the international rights market? Yeah, maybe, maybe we, we shall see. Phil, it's just very hard to do, isn't it? We've 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 heard about it lots over the years where countries can join forces and and, and do these multinational leagues. It's a debate that goes on and on, yet never comes to anything. And it and that's that's that would be the difficulty of it. I do think when when the the European Super League fell. That was largely driven by the sort of animosity from supporters of English clubs. Would would they have got away with it if it wasn't for those pesky English? Who knows? We'll, we'll <laughs> never know. As I said a while ago, it's that, that this is this is a a big headache for the rest of Europe, and because when they see their reserves shrinking, or or not shrinking, but but not growing at the same rates as, as English clubs. They're going to have to get the thinking caps on and, and come up with alternatives because the gap will, will never will, will never decrease. And whilst it's a headache for them now, it would then become a headache for the big Premier League clubs, Matt. Because if th- if those four countries went, yeah, we will join forces. Here's a continental league. All of a sudden, 
the clubs that were linked to the European Super League, we go, whoa, 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 whoa hang on a minute. We, yeah. we can't, we can't miss out on this. Now they are going to all come together. We can't be on the outside. And then, and then, as you say, hey, presto, the European Super League's back on the agenda. Maybe look, there, there are so many brilliant. I'd love to play some of this stuff out because one of the things about the European Super League, which I think was. Never really open. We are discussed. we are playing it out, Matt. It's a podcast. Oh, well, let's play it out. Let's play it out. Right. So let, I'm going to play. So let me play this bit out then. It's the bit of the European Super League that never quite made sense to me. All these big, not these big clubs, massive egos, ideas about where they sit in the in the in in the general pecking order, and that they never actually worked out that some of them are going to become also runs in this new competition, and the, the the power of their brand is 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 competing every year being the big dog in a competition well no you're, you're now going to be the whipping boy in this other competition so I've always wondered about you know how that would how that would work out uh, and I you know I'm not suggesting that it would be Atletico and, and, and Leon and Marseille and but it might be right and how they would feel about that so I think that's interesting the other thing about uh, these cross-border leagues is it's a hell of a leap, right? I mean, first of all, you have all the, the domestic issues there. I and mean, the, Ger- the German clubs didn't go for it, right? Because of the same issues that the English clubs discovered. The fans just weren't ready, didn't want it and said no, right? So so there's a big if there. You know, kind of just the selling of it, when it would be, a lot of travel. You know, what what is it that drives interest in leagues? Isn't it? Isn't it that kind of, you know... Well, you versus your Liverpool mates and City and what have you, isn't it that kind of office culture? And yeah. and do, how much do you care about AC Milan versus Atletico? You know, yeah, it's nice. It's nice every couple of years, but is it? Is it? Do we need it twice a year? I don't know. Do the fans of those clubs need it twice a year? So, you know, I think there's lots of things that are still big structural issues, really, which is why I suspect nothing like that will happen until someone smaller tries it. For example, Belgium and Netherlands and Luxembourg and or, 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 mm-hmm. or Scotland and the Atlantic League or the Scandinavians, right? Good. I'm glad we ended three Englishmen with a nice dig at Scotland at the end. Well done, Matt. That just, <laughs> just made this pod even more annoying for some people. <laughs> I like Scottish we, football. I tell you what, Honestly, some of the Scottish football, this is, I'm not trying to, this now could come across as patronising, but some of the Scottish football at the moment is fantastic. And the best Champions League fixtures through the mm. group stages will mm. all involve Rangers and Celtic. True. Without a shadow of a doubt. So hopefully I've, I've rescued that somewhat. Uh, we started with clarity and numbers and we've added in, ended in a fog of uncertainty. Disarray. We, yeah, disarray. We will... Um, Look, we're going to be revisiting this a lot, I would imagine, over uh, over the coming season and beyond. Phil, Matt, thank you. Thanks, guys. And remember that for the biggest stories from Europe, you can head to The Athletic and subscribe for just a pound a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash football pod. That's it for now. Bye. The Athletic.